Asymmetrical Haircuts Justice Update in partnership with justiceinfo.net. All rise. So, Stephanie, there are two countries that keep on coming back to the Hague-based courts and uh, both begin with a K. Yes, and we have Kosovo, one of my favourites. And we also have Kenya, not a tremendous favourite of mine, but still a fascinating set of cases. But let's start with Kosovo, your favourite one. This week, the Kosovo Tribunal finally got going. I seem to say that again each time. But it really did finally get going. I uh, joked about this on Twitter, but in the last podcast we did about the Kosovo Tribunal with Una Haidari, I uh, misspoke and said that the president, Hashim Sachi, had stepped down to appear before the tribunal and it was wrong and I had to edit it out. But then last week... It actually happened while everybody was watching the U.S. presidential election. My jaw was dropping on the floor because here was the president of Kosovo actually resigning. And a couple of hours later, he was on a plane to The Hague, something which I really didn't expect to see. And he's not the only one, isn't he? He's joined by a few other former KLA commanders. Yes, he's joined by a handful of former KLA commanders. They probably will be together in the same case because they finally also uh, made public the indictment against Thatchi and the other, uh, the kind of leadership of the KLA. And what's in that indictment? On the indictment is dun, 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 the return of the joint criminal enterprise. So the indictment says that Thatchi, together with these other four major KLA leaders and other people that are not named in this indictment, formed a joint criminal enterprise to basically intimidate, harass, torture and sometimes kill opponents of the KLA. Now, I know you're slightly obsessed by joint criminal enterprise, having covered it so often at the Yugoslav tribunal, but we're not going down that rabbit hole now. Uh, maybe we'll do another podcast uh, on that, uh, maybe more practically right at the moment. Where are these guys? Are they in detention? Are they at some kind of swanky hotel? They are at the moment in detention. The Kosovo uh, tribunal or the specialist chambers for Kosovo, I think we should say, Uh, officially, uh, shares the detention facilities with the UNDU. They are currently in Scheveningen together with the ICC and the former Yugoslav tribunal inmates. So that's going to be interesting, uh, interesting table arrangements at lunch, I think. And uh, who else is involved in the cast of characters? Do we know, apart from those accused, who are going to be their defence lawyers? What I've heard, and I haven't seen it confirmed, so I don't know officially who's on the defence team, but what I know is that the former uh, prosecutor in the Milosevic trial, Jeffrey Nice, has actually been retained by the Kosovo government to do legal work for them with the tribunal. And so he might very well be on Thatchi's defense team. And there's another return uh, from of a familiar face. The Jean-Pierre Prosper, the former uh, U.S. war crimes ambassador at large, is also uh, said to be one of Thatchi's lawyers. And he was with Thatchi when uh, he came voluntarily to speak to prosecutors at the Kosovo tribunal earlier this year. So he might be in the in the defense team. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that trial uh, unfolds. And I think it's such a power move to be indicted for war crimes and then show up with the former U.S. ambassador for war crimes at large to be your defense attorney. It's such a thoughty move that uh, that's going to be fun to watch that in court. So um, quite a stellar cast, um, again, of reruns, people who've uh, appeared previously and coming back. Another country to reappear here in The Hague after years away is Kenya, because 
lawyer, Paul Gichero, who's wanted for allegations of attempting to bribe or maybe bribing witnesses in the Ruto and Sang case, suddenly arrived at the International Criminal Court via Schiphol Airport and the Dutch authorities. And on Friday, he had his initial appearance where he represented himself. And he told the court that he came of his free will. He stressed that there were no threats or no pressure for him to go. And he denied all the charges against him. And here he is telling you that himself. Uh, Honorable Judge, you have touched on the issue of uh, the confirmation of hearing. And also the charges were read out to me. I was not, however, asked, and I wish this to go on record, that I do not intend to admit the charges under Article 65. So I wish to state for purposes of clarity, the allegations read out to me are not true. They are false. All of them, the six of them are false. Gichero's been a practicing lawyer in the Kenyan northwestern town of Eldoret for more than 20 years. That's the political base of Deputy President William Ruto. And uh, Gichero actually fought against a 2015 ICC arrest warrants all the way through the Kenyan courts, and he won. Um, He was in absolutely no danger of being transferred here by the authorities. So there's a lot of speculation in Kenya about why now and maybe whether this is part of kind of political machinations that are going on in Kenya pre-election campaigning. And to get more of an idea of all the circumstances around the case, we caught up with Tom Maliti of International Justice Monitor, who has covered the Kenyan cases at the ICC uh, extensively. And we asked him whether it wasn't a bit of a surprise to hear that Guccero handed himself over. He was a free man. He had the Kenyan courts behind him. Why on earth would he get on a plane to The Hague? Which is why, as you as you rightly say, it is surprising that Gisheru was not arrested because he happened to have been at Schiphol International Airport drinking a coffee and somebody flagged him as a fugitive of justice. He's said to have surrendered himself to Dutch authorities. So that's that, that that's a surprising thing. So maybe we should remind everybody about what the Ruto Sang trial was all about. Well, I don't know a lot about the Kenyan cases, but I do know this little bit. The current deputy president of Kenya, William Ruto, and a former journalist, Joshua Arab Sang, were on trial at the ICC from 2013 to 2016. They faced five counts of crimes against humanity, all linked to post-election violence that followed the presidential elections in Kenya in uh, 2007. And that trial was actually stopped halfway, as Tom explained. In early 2016, the trial chamber vacated the charges against them, saying that the case was so contaminated that no fair judge could determine the innocence or guilt of uh, the two individuals. The trial chamber chose to stop the case or terminate the case before the defense was called to present their side of the story. So this was what was, uh, this was a halfway, a half-time decision, call it that, in uh, jurisdictions that uh, follow the British legal system, it was uh, a proceeding called no case to answer, where once the prosecution presents its case, then a judge may determine whether the, the case that has been presented warrants the defense presenting their side of the story. 
so that a judge can then make a determination of innocence or guilt. In the case of uh, Ruto and Sang, the judges said, based on what the prosecution presented, based on the arguments by all concerned, they, they could not, in good conscience, allow the trial to move forward to the defense stage, and they stopped it at that point. Tom also reminded us about the big campaign of intimidation against witnesses, which was right from the beginning of the trial and really went on all the way uh, while there were procedures ongoing. So the first witness who testified was a target of a social media campaign to reveal their identity. On the first day of their testimony, they, they had to stop the, that testimony. The judges themselves called, called a stop to the testimony to allow uh, the witness to take time to recover. And the witness continued to testify, but the judges made a point of noting that what the reason they stopped was because of a sustained social media campaign on the first day of the trial. Then, in addition to that, uh, there were allegations of uh, uh, prosecution witnesses uh, being bribed or attempts being made to bribe them. And those combined, the judges said, contaminated the case to such an extent that there was no way they could make a a fair assessment of uh, the evidence because uh, it was difficult for them to, to gauge uh, whether a witness was testifying truthfully or, or, or not, um, even those who, had, who actually showed up in court and testified, and therefore they, they then stopped the case at that point. So with all that, I've been wondering exactly what's the link between the lawyer, Paul Guichero, and this old Ruto Sang trial? The, the, the link is that the witnesses he's alleged to have attempted to bribe or bribed we don't know for sure. Um, it depends on what, what emerges. Those witnesses, uh, five of the six he's alleged to have bribed or attempted to bribe, did testify in the Ruto and Sang case. That is, that is undisputed. Even though the arrest warrant, the way the arrest warrant is framed, it's framed as an independent case from the main trial of Ruto and Sang. So there's no, legally, there's no link between the two because irrespective of whether witnesses testified or not, the fact that you are alleged to have attempted to bribe witnesses goes against the administration of justice in the court and that in and of itself irrespective of its impact elsewhere is an offense and we also asked tom to speculate a bit to go into the what if commentary could the gichero trial potentially mean that the dropped ruto and sang case will be reopened now whether whether this could lead to the reopening of the ruto and sang trial is is in the realm of speculation a, simply because, as happens with cases uh, in any court system, until the arguments are made, until the evidence is laid out, it's difficult to say how the, what direction the case will go. Um, right now, the only information we're working on, or we have to work with, is the prosecution's information. We don't know what the defense will produce, um, and we don't know whether what the defense produces will dent uh, significantly the prosecution's evidence. And then also, even if the witnesses are found to have been compromised and so on, that does not mean that those witnesses can then be called again to testify because, of course, then there'll be a question of the credibility of, the, of their testimony, irrespective of what comes out of this trial of, of Gishero. And, and, and so the only way that the Ruto and Sang cases can be revived as things stand is if the prosecution is able to get new evidence that speaks to the charges that they had brought against those two individuals. And as we speak, uh, the prosecution has not said that they they have that or that they're working on that. And therefore, 
anything else is remains in the realm of speculation. Uh, I've been reading up on the Kenyan newspaper headlines and what I can see that kind of speculation is very high. The political temperature is already pretty febrile. So this Guchero business does seem to be fueling the conspiracy theorists. Because of the, the issue that we've, we've talked about, that Gishiru had a, had a court order or court decision in his favor saying that the Kenyan, Kenyan authorities cannot execute the arrest warrants against him. The fact that he's then surrendered himself to Dutch authorities has raised speculation as to, so why has he done it and why now? And the why now question is what is what is filled in the speculation because as we speak, uh, Deputy President uh, William Ruto and President uh, Uhuru Kenyatta are pulling in different directions politically. Whereas, for instance, at the start of uh, uh, Ruto's trial in 2013, the two of them uh, had what was publicly referred to as a bromance. They were working well together. You know, they were in a sense finishing each other's sentences and, and had a very warm public relationship that was beyond the normal relationship between a president and his deputy. And so fast forward to 2020, they are currently pulling apart. Kenyatta is serving his second and final term. His term ends in two years' time, and Ruto is campaigning to replace him. And one of the reasons they are pulling in different directions is because Ruto supporters feel aggrieved that when uh, Kenyatta and Ruto first ran for high office in 2012, they had an, an informal agreement where Kenyatta will serve two terms, and then Kenyatta will automatically back Ruto in subsequent election, in the subsequent election, so that Ruto can then serve as president. And now it's clear that Kenyatta is not going to do that. And therefore, because Gisheru is a lawyer who has worked for decades in Eldoret and obviously has met and knows uh, William Ruto, if nothing else, through the normal social uh, socialization that would, uh, would take place in a town like Eldoret, the speculation is that, um, you, you know, maybe there's more to this. Uh, may maybe Gisheru has uh, things to share that are not part of the case against him, the new evidence that, 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 that may uh, provoke a reopening of the case. This is the speculation. Whether it's true or not, that's a different matter. But these are these are the grounds on which the speculation is based on. We also asked Tom what his more reality-based take was on things that he was looking forward to seeing uh, if Gichero's case is actually heard. Just the, the proceedings, just to follow the proceedings and see what emerges. Uh, this this case was uh, filed five years ago. For instance, uh, at the moment, uh, it's not clear to me whether whatever witnesses the prosecution may have uh, are still available to testify. That's one. The arrest warrant gives very specific figures that the prosecution referred to in terms of the monies that allegedly offered, you know, going up to approximately uh, 47,000 US dollars. That indicates possibly the prosecution has some sort of paper trail of uh, transactions. So to see whether that actually is true or whether this is based on the words of, of, of individuals and, of course, whether those individuals are then proved to be credible or not. So these are the things I'll be looking to see. And then at some point uh, to hear from Gisheru or his lawyers why it is that he surrendered at this particular time. What is it that made him leave the comfort of Kenya to seek the uncomfortable circumstances of a lawyer being in custody of prison authorities, um, even uh, particularly in a foreign country? So it, it will be interesting to see whether uh, that particular mystery is, is solved. 
So, again, plenty happening, isn't there, Stephanie? And also, um, we've got in the background running all the elections that are, are going on. The, this week, we've had the judges on show for their running to be the judges at the ICC. Yes, there's also judges in the running for being judges at the International Court of Justice, the ICJ. And of course, we're closely following the elections for ICC prosecutor to see if states will change the procedure, if they're going to go long list, short list, uh, no list. We still don't know. But what we are doing is doing some interviews with the candidates and those will be coming up soon. So hopefully our listeners will keep tuned. Bye. Bye. This podcast was created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. It is published in partnership with justiceinfo.net. You can find show notes and additional blogs on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. It is recorded in the Hague Humanity Hub, home to a community of innovators in the field of peace, justice, development and humanitarian action. Music is by audionautics.com and the show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating and spread the word.